Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Ettini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. Welcome to another episode, and today we will discuss something that is really close to my heart, something that I really like, conservation, environment, people, Africa. And we do this with a foundation that is in piloting, something that is really important, that conservation that is transfrontier, bringing peace and harmony also in Africa. And we do it with the CEO of Peace Park Foundation, Werner Mayburg. Werner, Thank you so much for being here with us. Samuel, thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast and uh, yeah, looking forward to the discussion today. Peace Park Foundation, it's really at the forefront of conservation. Has been Mandela was there when they built it with a wonderful ideal, removing barriers. But And we will discuss that. But as usual, the question we start, who is Werner? How you have become a change maker in this field? Samuel, so yeah, it's the easy one. You know, as, as long as far back as I can remember, uh, when I was four or five years old, I always wanted to be a game ranger. I always wanted to do something in nature conservation. And, and uh, my parents would often say, but there's, there's no money in nature conservation. Why do you want to do that? Why don't you want to be a pilot or a doctor or anything else? And I always said, that's what I want to be. I want to be a game ranger. So it was something that from a very early age, I've been out in the field and in the bush. And, and from very early on, I volunteered and I worked in Kruger National Park for a year and while I was studying full time. And my professional studying was in, in, in uh, ecology at the university. And at the same time, I also did a diploma in, in nature conservation. So I did it too. It later became a degree, a BTEC degree, but I did it too at the same time and worked in conservation on a voluntary basis whenever I had an opportunity. Um, and then my, uh, I took a gap year in Africa, uh, solo traveling. And then when I came back, I started looking for a job. And the first real job that I got was Peace Park Foundation. The CEO then, uh, Dr. John Hanks, he got my CV. I sent it to them. I loved the concept of their cross-border uh, conservation of linking ecosystems and national parks across international boundaries. I sent him my CV. I haven't had any experience. And he said, well, I've got a six-week assignment for you. And that was in 1998. So the six-week assignment has become 25 years. I've been with the organization from the very beginning. And, and the beginning was incredibly important foundational years with um, Dr. Anton Rupert, our founder. He was a philanthropist and a businessman. And he invited uh, President Mandela to become the honorary patron of Peace Parks Foundation. And the concept being, we needed an organization that can act as a neutral facilitator and bring countries around the table to agree on the principle that nature has no boundaries and that these international borders is very much political, it's very much colonialist, and it's very artificial. And it didn't recognize ecosystems, it didn't recognize migration patterns of wildlife. It didn't recognize cultural clans where people uh, live in, in the landscape. It was, you know, so in a sense, it was redressing that, but also recognizing that there's a need for a, a larger ecosystems-based approach for conservation and not separated by fences and artificial borders. And you can imagine in the beginning, that was quite difficult because South Africa was just coming out of apartheid years. Mozambique just came out of a war for 16 years. And there was a lot of civil wars in the, in the whole region. But 
unanimously all the heads of state when you spoke with them about the concept of saying let's take hands let's cooperate formally through means of mous or treaties all of the heads of state were supportive and even up until today we have some of the former heads of state on our board and the current heads of state uh, the presidents of these countries are patrons of peace parks foundation so we had that high level support and endorsement we set out as an organization to be a facilitator and a broker we were very small we were a team of six people including the the driver and the messenger and the person cleaning the office so we were quite tiny but the vision was quite bold and ambitious is to look at africa look at southern africa in particular and see how can you connect these protected areas now what is interesting is that 80% of all the protected areas in africa lies close to an international border so it was logical that you try and have those connectivity being maintained to illustrate it very basically you know if you have an elephant in kruger national park He doesn't know there's a political border, right? It's an elephant and it goes where there's food and water and safety. So removal of these is impediments is also good for obviously the nature but it's also good for tourism because people are attracted in in conservation to large areas. So Kruger Park gets a 2 million visitors a year and the main reason for that is got the big five but it's also big. It's the size of Israel, it's 20,000 square kilometers. So what these parks has been doing is bringing countries around the table and facilitating this process the heads of state signed treaties but that's just the beginning right that's just on paper so the last decade or so we've been quite involved in an operations on the ground so really trying to so it's a fantastic concept but there has to be change on the ground for that you need to invest quite a significant amount of money you have to put bring a lot of skills to the conservation protect areas and you you have to restore and rehabilitate quite extensively and south africa though those years were really advanced they had well functioning managing parks and in some of the countries like mozambique there wasn't a park on the on the mozambican side there was a hunting block called katara 16 so what we did quite a lot is then starting to invest and restoring these protected areas that was there on paper but on the ground it was non existent or there was very very little protection taking place and we've done that now quite extensively especially in mozambique um, which is the country where we work in partnership with government to co-manage for protected areas but we also have expanded that work into other countries like zambia or malawi and also recently we had discussions with angola and zimbabwe and and other countries so it's taking this concept of you know large level landscapes and bringing protected areas together across international boundaries that you can have more space for animals and also a better uh, global competitive attraction for tourists to come and see these large landscapes and and that's sort of the the drive but we don't do that in isolation of the landscape right so there's people living there there's livelihoods there's a lot of challenges on the ground but we believe tourism is ultimately one of those very critical economic drivers especially in Africa where we don't have massive industrialization we don't have you know a, a lot of export of uh, goods and services perhaps less so on on the good side except raw materials so that's from the mining sector but that's for night it comes to an end where tourism is a never ending business right if you look after an area and you've got you know in in Africa there's no comparison anywhere in the world to these large charismatic Uh, mammal species elephants and lions and leopards 
So it puts us in a very unique space, a very competitive space, if you can look after this. And, uh, you know, people will from all over the world will continue to come and see this because it's really, really magnificent. So that's the premise is that it's fantastic for development. It's sustainable job creation. It's good for the, the region in terms of politics because presidents and ministers and uh, departments cooperate across international boundaries. So it's also good for international relations and peace building. If you would say, what is Peacebox about in one sentence? We are about conservation at scale. Very interesting. Conservation at scale. And I really liked in your description, the work that you are doing is pioneering. As you said, just not only the single national park, but linking countries together, bringing back again migration routes and area and this wilderness that was there before the the treaty and the boundaries and all was was in the in, in the last centuries and also i think cleaning and restoring open the, the old wounds and bringing peace in the region uh, you have discussed i think a really interesting the case i want to ask really now if you can tell us some stories of your impact of your work in along all this year and especially from 2010 when you are the CEO. It's obviously a privilege to be an organization where you see that you make a difference. Uh, I think uh, I feel really, really very lucky and we've got incredible staff and incredible board and incredible supporters and partners and donors. And I'll, I'll give you a practical example. In 2015, in the Great Limpopo landscape, which is three countries, uh, Mozambique and Zimbabwe and South Africa, we're looking at a landscape of about 100,000 square kilometers. That's about 60,000 square miles to restore this. So it's, it's massive, right? It's, it's pretty big. And in this landscape, there is a, a couple of national parks on the Mozambican side. One of them is called Zinaf. Now, when we visited Zinaf in 2015, and we were there in April 2015, uh, to see whether we uh, can help the government to restore this park, we traveled around it was beautiful and but it was very remote huh? it still is very remote very difficult to access we traveled for days by car to get there there was no real roads and all everything was overgrown the cars were scratched but we got to this park and the most beautiful trees and the most beautiful bio batteries massive bio batteries in this beautiful Savi river and we were driving around and looking and, and there was one thing that struck me after about two days is that we couldn't I couldn't put my finger on it. Something really bothered me. And I just didn't understand what it was. And then I realized, but it's completely silent. There's no life. There's no birds. There's no bird sound. There's no birds singing. There's no insects. There's, there's absolutely nothing. It's a beautiful landscape, but no, no life. It was very, very bizarre. And that's where it was. And then we, we went to the government of, of Mozambique and we said, we really think this is a very important area. Uh, historically, it was a famous uh, area for hunting, uh, and it was proclaimed as a national park in 1973, especially for its protection of giraffe. It was an area with a lot of giraffe. And um, so very sad in, in going there in two, 2015, and there was nothing, no more animals. And so we started on this journey. We signed a 20-year agreement with the government of Mozambique, a co-management agreement. And we took hands and we said, let's jointly work together as partners and rehabilitate and, and restore this park. And the government of Mozambique came on board and they, uh, you know, really put their staff resources to this and we brought financial resources. And we had, a, you know, a number of fantastic donors that came on board quite quickly. And so the journey started with Enough, and that was seven years ago. So the end of 2015, we signed the agreement. So effectively, we started 2016, beginning of 2016. 
and we started with you know bringing in more capacity, more people, and uh, creating a management team, uh, a management uh, steering committee or or a board, if you like, um, and rehabilitating the wildlife, the park. Now, the first thing we needed to do is we needed to upskill staff and appoint staff and you know, make sure that there's proper protection. If you want to bring back wildlife, you have to have people that, that can look after the wildlife. So we did that. And then once we did that, we started bringing back animals. And, and uh, you know, the, to date, we, um, I think the last count is just close to 2,500 animals that we reintroduced uh, to Zenov. But we also built staff accommodation and the head office and entrance gates. And um, we built about uh, 400 kilometers of roads and another thousand kilometers of tracks. And um, we built a, a big sanctuary. And today, so where we went from 2015, 2016, really very little life, no, not birds, to 2020, beginning of 2023, uh, we have a park with a big five. Now, what does that mean? That means there's rhino back, both black and white, which is, as you know, the black rhino is critically endangered. We have elephant back, we have leopard back, uh, we have buffalo back. We've got, I think we've got probably close to a thousand buffalo already in the park. And then um, we're also, quite interestingly, lions coming back to the park by themselves. Now, we think they might have walked from Kruger National Park or from Zimbabwe, which is hundreds of kilometers away. And the first lion arrived there in September 2021. A big, big male lion, and they just arrived out of the blue. We saw him on a camera trap. And now we see them all the time. And then two weeks ago, we even saw a female and a cub. We saw the tracks and then the rangers said that they spotted them. It's been an incredible journey that you have now the first big five park in Mozambique, which have these charismatic species. And you've got this really, really thriving national park. Uh, and now we are in a journey of putting back tourism infrastructure and obviously welcoming the first visitors. So it's a, for me, it's just um, very much showing you how resilient nature is, how important it is to have partnerships, so government and, and NGOs partnering, and how quickly you can actually change things around completely. So it's, for me, it's a fantastic story of hope of, of what the future of conservation can be in Africa. And with proper resources and, and good people, you can turn around areas that really was devastated, burns down every year, and really had a, had a very sad story. And you know, even the people there, there was no economic activity. There was no job creation, no job prospects. And currently we employ and the park employs, you know, upwards of 200 people from the community uh, at any given moment, in addition to into, into the rangers. And also now the government has appointed a lot of staff. So suddenly you've got this economic driver, not that the park makes money. It takes a long time to break even, but there is definitely a positive momentum. And, and what we see now is other parties join and the Hunger Project says, oh, but we want to do a community development project. And, and other organizations, International Anti-Poaching Foundation is now on the other side with Katada 5, and they are investing in, in that region. And we have NGOs, other NGOs and other uh, donors coming on board. So when we went in there, there was nobody and there was no interest. And now you have US entities. We've got the GEOS Foundation. We've got the German postcode lottery, uh, we, you know, you've got so many new donors, the, the Andre Hoffmann Foundation, the Hans Wilstorf Foundation, the Marva Foundation, and all of these donors, Biofund, etc., saying, uh, you know, we want to be part of this success story and we want to help. That's just a sort of an illustration of how, how it can be done now and, um, you know, how you can rehabilitate and turn thing, something around completely. 
on, on the people element we also that's the, that's the other part no one thing is how, how you ensure this the community around and the people part so one thing that we do is uh, and it's a government law 20 percent of the park revenue is shared with the community in structures you know community structures 20 percent of the revenue generated but also there's an extensive community development program and we do that we've got quite a number of programs uh, a lot of our work is focused around food security because we think if people are food secure and less vulnerable to climate change, remember they, they're completely dependent on rainfall for their harvests. Um, and if you can make them more food secure and, more, and have more stable food, then they start thinking about education and, and other things. So it's, it's sort of the basic, basic foundation. So we focus a lot on that. And we've got a program with conservation agriculture where we work with all the communities around the park. We, we've did water provision with for all the communities around the park and also obviously looking at other alternative mechanisms financing mechanisms we are investigating carbon we did a feasibility study that's been concluded i think it's very exciting the results of that because there's so massive deforestation historically around the particular and even inside the park uh, when we arrived there they were logging inside the park 15 kilometers away from the head office for example of the park all of that stopped it was uh, extensive logging and so a lot of our work is also linked to looking at carbon as a vehicle to finance conservation of course there's a lot of you know the, the methodology is not perfect and we saw the guardian article but the red mechanism you know and looking at community-based carbon uh, forest conservation is the only thing that we have at the moment where you can empower people give them financial support to look after their own forests it's either that or somebody comes in it's usually the chinese it's usually uh, people that come in uh, that's very extractive uh, they've got a lot of power, they have a money, and they pay people to cut down their own trees. And it's extremely sad to see it happening, and these people are desperate, so they do that. So they're destroying their own natural heritage just to survive. And so you've got a lot of that exploitation, and certainly to have an alternative where you pay for them to protect it, of course, and it's, it's far, far, far better. Uh, with all of its flaws and criticisms, I still think red is the best that we have at the moment in the absence of anything better. So that's just one story of one park. And, and I think we've replicated that Maputo National Park in Mozambique. Again, from 2008, Peace Park signed an agreement with the government. Today, it is paradise. We've put in over 5,000 animals in uh, Maputo National Park, which is quite a lot. You know, if you think about it, giraffe and zebra and villabies and uh, all of these animals, you know, they are big, they are difficult to move, elephants, etc. And um, we today have a park and we did our last count and we had now over 13,000 animals in this park, in Maputo National Park. And the, the third lodge is opening in April this year. The visitor numbers are skyrocketing. The revenue for the park is skyrocketing. It's got a marine component and we're in the process of, of proclaiming it as a, as a world heritage site. So Maputo National Park is just another incredible success story uh, that we're very proud of. And so that's what we do is Zinaf is part of a larger landscape. It links to Gondarizu and Zimbabwe and Banin in Mozambique and Limpopo in Mozambique and Kruger National Park. So it's part of this big landscape but also Maputo National Park, it's part of a bigger landscape of Swaziland and South Africa. So our strategy is to rehabilitate um, core protected areas. And then in the next phase, look at the ecological linkages between those, and which is a purely community development intervention. And of course, and overlying all of that is your strategy sustainability. So how do you keep financing this? Tourism we saw is very fickle with COVID. It's very volatile. 
So alternative financing mechanisms where we look at carbon, we're investigating biodiversity credits, where we're looking at bringing on board the private sector. There's so much money in the private sector and people want to do good, but there's no pipeline for investment. There's no pipeline for doing good, but also doing business because a lot of people philosophically don't want to just hand out money. So, you know, there must be a business case. So we, we focus a lot also on, on the business case of things. I think last governance, which is so key in all of this, and we are on the verge of, of signing two agreements quite soon over the next two months in Malawi and Zambia, where we have taken the concept of conservation one step further in partnership with governments, where we're now actually creating special purpose vehicles. And it's a little bit technical, but but think about it, you're creating a, an, an entity for a park, and that entity then manages the park. And on the board of this entity, so it's like a little company that you create, and the, on the board of the company is government and Peace Parks Foundation or other NGOs or other, other partners in private sector. And so what you do is you want to still have government provide the lead and still own the, the asset, and they chair the, the company and they're on the board of the company, but you also want private sector principles, and you also want that transparency in financial management, and you also want accountability, right, and performance management and all the things that governments are not strong at, but private sector are strong at. So we're blending this by creating a little entities per protected area that I believe is the future of conservation because governments don't necessarily have all the resources to look after these protected areas. These protected areas rarely are financially viable. If you're not very efficient and if you're not very innovative and if you're not very flexible and understanding the market drivers and, and really tapping into revenue streams, but at the same time, so you bring that business ethics and principles into conservation, but you maintain government as a lead and owner and oversight at, at a policy level and a, and a strategic level. So that's for me quite exciting about where we are as an organization now, where we do more and more of that. And I think that will expand quite a bit in the future in, in many parts in Africa. It's really interesting. And the discussion, I can see you have given a very interesting perspective on how to blend conservation to make it work and also putting the people and and, and the re i really like the governance side you know we discuss a lot about the community but also the governance because to ensure transparency in the way is a stepping stone a fundamental stepping stone for the long-term sustainability when the agreement the 20 year or 30 year or 40 year they will expire i, I want to ask a forward-looking question about how do you see, you know, we have seen that in the next 10, 15 years, and you have already discussed a bit about the special vehicles, but how we can blend and transform, you know, conservation, especially how do you see also the vision for Peace Park? You said Malawi, Zambia, where, where do you want to bring the, the organization in the future? I think we are in, in a real crisis moment, uh, and, and we have, but we also are in a real opportunity still. I think the next decade will be the most important decade for the future of ecosystems and, and natural resources in Africa. And if we don't safeguard and keep intact critical ecosystems, Africa is going to be in trouble because the population growth is the highest already in the world and it's going to be the most populous continent by 2100. So it's in, in, in less than eight years from now, we're looking at four billion plus people on the African continent. We have 36 million people more every single year in Africa. So the pressure on the natural resources, the is just going to continue to escalate. And that is exacerbated, it's made far worse as a result of climate change. And if you think about it, people are 
completely dependent on climate. 80% of people are living in, in the rural landscapes in Africa, and they're dependent on what the environment is doing to them. And um, so with very little inputs into agriculture. So what does the future hold? Obviously, conservation is not the only answer, but it's part of the answer. It's important that we strategically look at landscapes in harmony with people. So how can we help people to live in coexistence with, with nature? as opposed to extractive and exploitative, because if you take away the forest, it's erosion, it's topsoil loss, uh, it's desertification. Yeah, and, and so we, restoration is key in, in this process and preservation is key in this process. The big thing for us is scale. What we are doing as Peace Parks Foundation, working at, you know, even on, on 600,000 square kilometers, and if you look at all 10 of our uh, transfrontier conservation areas, it's still, we need a lot more. So scale is critical. We, for example, are looking other, at other mechanisms. We have partnered with Conservation International in a program called Herding for Health. And Herding for Health is about helping people that manage their livestock, helping to do it better because cattle and livestock, 80% of, of the arable land is utilized by people with cattle, right? And um, in sub-Saharan Africa, and 5% of the actual meat production comes from that. 95% comes from the commercial side. So you've got this massive use of land for grazing, but it's not productive and it's not sustainable. You know, there's a lot of overgrazing. There's a lot of vulnerability to climate change. So we've got lots, massive transformation and loss of and degradation of land. So our program called Herding for Health is working with communities where they then start collectively grazing their cattle as a village. It's not, I've got my five cattle here and I've got my 500 cattle there. It's let's put all the cattle together and let's get professional herders to herd the cattle on a grazing plant. So it's good for the environment, for the felt, it rests, the grass can rest in some times of the year when it's vulnerable. And rotational grazing is good for the cattle, right? It's good for the environment. And then the improvement of the animals also supported with veterinary health. They improve their condition significantly and then are able to get more money in their pocket, right? So very, very basic thing. So I think those type of interventions. Um, other one, of course, is our carbon program. We partner with biocarbon carbon partners and looking at protecting large forests and having the private sector as a partner to buy the credit offsets and to protect those forests. So, so for me, those are scalable opportunities. So the Peace Park's vision of landscapes, connecting protected areas, the Herding for Health vision of looking at working with people to really look at land restoration, but also land management and pasture management, uh, carbon. So for me, that's the exciting part. And that's the part that we really need to focus on is how can we scale interventions where you work with people in a landscape, where you enhance what they've been doing all along and make proving what they've been doing all along by not being too disruptive in what they're doing or the culture or the way that they used to do it, but just trying to improve mechanisms of land use. So that's for me the, the future is to really look at scale. And we also have to remember, you know, Africa is the lungs of the world. Huh? I mean, there's the largest intact forest, the largest intact savanna landscapes left, um, but it's going quite quickly. Definitely there's an urgent need. Definitely the next 10 years will be telling. We don't get much more of what we do in many other organizations, just not just Peace Park, there's many organizations working in Africa. But we need more. We need more support. We need more awareness. That's our vision is, is to scale, uh, to keep on doing what we're doing, but to 
and to do it in partnership with as many as possible partners. It's really important. I really like the vision and the scale and the complexity. I really like the, the how you have put together the complexity of the problems, you know, community, traditional practices, and of course, the trends and the emergence coming from abroad and then from the global system. So it's really something that can work together and the scaling of the vision. You know, we are going towards the end of the podcast. I want to ask the usual final call for action we ask to our guests. What do you want to tell to our global audience? I think conservation begins at home. Um, and I think everybody has a role and a responsibility uh, to look first and foremost at their own lifestyle. What do they eat? What do they wear? How do they travel? How do they commute? How, that's the first thing that you should do. If you want to support conservation in Africa, do so through credible organizations uh, that has a track record and that are operational on the ground because that's where it counts. So, and there's many organizations like Peace Parks. I'm not advocating Peace Parks. Um, I'm advocating the, the need and the, the urgency. Peace Parks, of course, we also have our own website. We also have our own LinkedIn account and we're on Instagram and Facebook and all the platforms. And, and it's also might be interesting. We also created the, the Peace Parks TV channel where our staff in our various areas where they work contribute and share how they, how, what it is to build a park or rehabilitate it or introduce lions or elephants into a park. And sometimes I think that's quite interesting. So go and look at peaceparkstv.com. It might be interesting. And also, if you want to make a contribution, go and look on our website. We've got um, offices in the US, the Netherlands, in Sweden, in the UK, of course, in Switzerland and, and elsewhere. And um, so have a look at our website. It's peaceparks.org. This is also the way the podcast has started, to giving voice to people, to change maker like you, that are really posting the change that we need on our planet to solve the emergencies. In this case, the conservation and its broader social and economic uh, dimension as well. Bernard, thank you so much for your time. It was a real pleasure having you and I'm sure we will maybe have another episode in one year or something to see where have you taken this wonderful organization. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.